Please open up in your Bibles to Micah chapter Micah chapter 1 and 2. Micah chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Is the Bible historical? Well, it thinks it is. Right? It has triangulated itself among three kings whose reigns we can date from our vantage point with precision. Moresheth, where Micah's from, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which Micah saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now we know because of this triangulation of kings that Micah is, is prophesying and ministering one generation after Amos. So we've been in Amos for the last five Sundays. And that was with uh, Jeroboam II talking to Israel, the kind of bad group of, of uh, Israelite tribes that went north and left the, the house of David and left the covenant and promises of God. They were going to try to do it on their own. And under Jeroboam II, it looked like they were doing a pretty good job. Everybody's incomes were on the rise. Uh, unemployment rates were low. They were praised in the media. International politicians respected their leadership. Things seemed to be going really well. But Amos, of course, said, this is not what we were called to be, and God's not going to let it continue. We were called to be the light of the world, holding out the covenant promises to the world, and now we are full of the sins of the nations, and so we're going to face the same judgment that the nations face. Now, a generation, about 30 years later, Micah comes on the scene. And you notice there in verse 1, it says what he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria and Jerusalem, there's two words in there that are really astonishing to your average reader, and that's the phrase, and Jerusalem. Because everybody by that point knew that Samaria was a godless, pagan, falling down, failed state. Everybody knew that Samaria was bad, but when he says, and Jerusalem, everybody would have been, wait, what? You know, and it's, it's again that kind of a moment, like we saw at the beginning of Amos, where somebody, you know, politicians railing against China and Russia and Iraq and, and Venezuela and Washington, D.C., right? Well, hang on, what? And we know those guys are bad, but our guys? But look, this is really the, the focal point of Micah. Look at verse 5 here of chapter 1. He says, All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Go down a little bit more to verse 8. Micah's, Micah begins a lamentation. He says, I will lament and wail and go stripped and naked and make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For, for her wound, Israel's wound, Samaria's wound is incurable and that wound has spread to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people to Jerusalem. And if you look a little further down again in verse 13, he says, Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. You're going to see some uh, harsh judgments against Samaria and Israel in the book of Micah, but those are all really just warnings for Judah. During Micah's ministry, Israel, the people that Amos had been prophesying against, they actually, it happened. They went into exile. They were obliterated from the face of the earth. They, they have been removed from history. It's 722 B.C. by the Assyrian Empire. That happened. That was happening during Micah's ministry. And it almost happened during Micah's ministry to Judah. 
in 701, about 20 years later, Assyria comes to the gates of Jerusalem. And some of you might know this story. Hezekiah, in that, in that place of distress, finally listens to Micah, repents and humbles himself. We'll talk a little bit more about that in coming weeks. But it's because this, this, the worldly idolatry, immorality, and injustice of, uh, that filled Israel is now becoming increasingly common in Judah. More and more, the, the good kings that were in Judah are becoming less good kings. And it's beginning to kind of take almost a generational rotation. One good king, one bad king. One good king, one bad king. And so the prophets now are saying, hey, don't you see what happened to Israel? It's going to happen here. So that's kind of the general context for the book of Micah. And I just want to remind you, with all the prophets, the, the book of Micah, the book of Amos, the book of Micah, the, all of the prophets are part of God's plan to not bring judgment on his people. That the reason Micah exists is so that God might save his people from that judgment and might bring them back into their purpose here in the world. But such was not the case. Well, let's look beginning again in, in chapter 1, verse 2. Just want to walk through this, this passage. I know that sometimes Jeremiah's excellent reading, uh, was, it was great, but um, sometimes reading this stuff can be a little bit, you can get a little lost in it. So I just want to try to walk through it briefly and show you kind of the logic of what's going on. In verses 2 to 7 of chapter 1, you see some, uh, some images that recall God's glory at Mount Sinai. Verse 4, the mountains will melt. The valleys will split like wax before fire. It, it, it brings back images of Sinai in order to recall right at the beginning the covenant that God made with His people. Because what, what's about to happen though is not the covenant being remade, but the covenant, the, the judgment for breaking the covenant is coming. And so He calls up these images of Sinai to say, Remember Sinai? Remember how you promised to walk with the Lord and follow Him? Well, you're not doing it. And so it, He's coming again. And this time with judgment. Look in verse 8, he begins this section. He says, I will lament and wail. I'll go stripped and naked. He's, he's full of sorrow because, as you might have observed in, in verses 10 to 16, Jeremiah did an excellent job reading this, but it was tricky because it was a bunch of ancient Israelite town names. These are all actually town names in the, in the nation of Judah. And so it's like Micah is sort of a, doing a flyover of the country of Judah, and he's just grieving. He's like, that town is going to be destroyed, and that town is going to be destroyed, and that town is going to be destroyed. All of these places are going to be destroyed if Judah doesn't learn its lesson. Alright, so why is there this judgment coming to the house of Judah? And so beginning in chapter 2, we see really what they've done to break the covenant. Two things that deserve, that, that Micah calls out here at the beginning, that deserve judgment. And the first is what I'm calling legal evil. Legal evil. Do we have any of this in our society? Legal evil. And the specific evil that he's calling out is the theft of ancestral lands. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When morning dawns, they perform it. That's the opposite. Normally, you do your evil at night. These folks... They've got no fear of the daytime. They plan their evil while they're waking up over their cup of coffee, and they head out, bold as lions, to go do evil. It's in the power of their hand to do this. They covet fields and seize them. They covet houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. 
Some of you may remember this story, but I'm just going to recap it briefly here to give you a, a story version of what Mike is describing. You may know the story of Ahab and Naboth's vineyards. Uh, so this is a couple generations before, and this happens up in the nation of Israel. But of course, it's the Israelite problems that are now bleeding into Judah's life. Ahab was one of the worst kings of the people of Israel. And, uh, and Naboth was one of his neighbors. He must have been a kind of an upper middle class guy. He's got this family land. Right When Israel and the people of Israel came into the promised land, they divided out the, the land by clans, tribes, families, and everybody got a chunk. And it was their chunk. It was the, their inheritance granted by the law to be protected. And they were supposed to invest in it and help it flourish. And so this is Naboth's part of his ancestral lands. And he's got a generational, a high-quality vineyard growing in his lands. And for whatever reason, he makes the mistake, perhaps, of sending a couple bottles over to Ahab. And Ahab, I'm speculating on some of this, but Ahab falls in love with the vintage. And he says, oh my word, Naboth, this is amazing. He comes over there with some, some friends and they're praising, they take a tour of the vineyard. He, he says at the end of the tour, he says, Naboth, he pulls out his checkbook. He says, listen, I've got to have this. This is the best wine I've ever had. Name your price. And Naboth, you know, no, I couldn't possibly. I couldn't possibly. Naboth, I'm serious. Name your price. You don't have to work another day in your life. Your grandchildren won't have to work another day. I want this. Naboth says, I'm, I, I'm flattered, but I'm not going to sell this because this is my inheritance from the Lord. This is my, my family's inheritance. I'm holding this land in trust. And Ahab tries and tries. He's, he's getting nowhere with Naboth. So he goes home. It says that he, he falls on his bed and he's moaning and complaining and crying like a little kid. And his wife, Jezebel, has a plan. She says, Ahab, come on, aren't you the king? Here's what you need to do. Invite Naboth, have him bring a couple bottles, invite him to a nice supper, and at that supper, have a couple people say that they heard him blaspheme God, put him to death right there, and take his land. And Ahab's like, huh, okay. Does it? Works flawlessly. Ahab now is the owner of Naboth's vineyard. How did, he, how did that happen? Right? There were witnesses to this. There was false witnesses. The, 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 the courts, the, the clerks, everybody's in on it. And the deed and the title are transferred to Ahab and his house. And he now gets Naboth's property. What happens to Naboth's widow? What happens to Naboth's kids and grandkids? Where do they go? Right, so in an agricultural society, doing this kind of stuff was stealing generational wealth. It was not just robbing people of their ability to feed and provide for their, themselves and their family today and next week. But it was stealing their hope for the future. And that's why it was protected in the law of the Bible. It was part of the covenant right and part of the covenant stipulations. It was essential to the flourishing that God wanted his people to have. But these people are just taking it, right? They found a legal way around it. Think of all the different little moments of collusion that have to happen for that. Handshakes with a little something in them, favors being traded, 
people looking the other way, things being filed, things being shredded. You guys have seen the same TV shows I have. We can imagine how this goes from plot to plan to done. And that's the kind of society that is taking place now in Judah. Collusion, tolerance, it is an appeasement culture fueled by greed and fear. Right? You speak up and you might be next. Right? Hey, this isn't right. Oh, maybe we're going to pull your tax records. Why don't you shut your mouth? Just go along and then what? And get along. Go along with it. Get along. Speak up. You're next. This is the kind of culture now that is inhabiting Judah. So what deserves this judgment is first this legal evil, which is really just an example of a society-wide brokenness. Society-wide evil. The second thing we see in verse 6, what deserves just judgment is uh, something I'm calling positivity preachers. So he says, uh, do not preach. That's their preaching. Do not preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Mike is saying, this is disgraceful. And this disgrace is going to overtake us. And we're going to be judged. And they're saying, Mike, what are you doing? Don't preach of such things. We're not going to be disgraced. We're the people of God, brother. Haven't you read the book of Amos? How at the end of Amos it says that the, the wine is going to flow down and and, and fill God's people with joy? Well, look at their message in verse, in verse 11. If a, if a man should go about and under wind and lies, saying, I'll preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. He's saying that their message is, don't talk about injustice. Shh, 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 shh with the injustice stuff. We're living in a time of favor. We're living in a time of blessing. We're living in a time when the wine is, you know, the beer flows like wine here. Like, we're living in this kind of an age. They're not going to, they don't want to talk about the injustices. Because why? Because the unjust people are in their congregations. The unjust people are the biggest donors. The unjust people just help them pay off their second jet stream, right? They don't want to lose this. And so they're dialing back their message and they're avoiding certain things. I don't know. I've experienced this before. Uh, If you bring up the subject of abortion in certain, certain contexts with certain groups and they get really quiet and they maybe get really upset and they, they don't want to talk to you or they want to walk away. And then I've experienced the same exact thing bringing up the subject of racism with some groups. They get really quiet. They get really upset. They want to walk away. Like, we don't want to hear about what's wrong. Just tell us. Just tell us good things. We don't want to hear the different evils that we may be involved in. We just want to hear good things. And so, in summary, Judah is being influenced by the values of Israel. Judah is being influenced by the values of Israel. They're experiencing now a growing society-wide injustice. The rich are getting richer by legal evil. The powerful are winking at all this. And the religious leaders are talking around it. And so Micah says, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. He says, this is Micah's message, your society is allowing your leaders to lead you to destruction. Your society is allowing your leaders 
to lead you to destruction. In other words, you are being led to destruction. And God, as you saw, God is going to judge the whole land for the injustices that you have allowed. You are being led to destruction and God is going to judge the whole land for the injustices that you're allowing. This is not good. Right? This is this is the situation in, in Judah is not good. And it is going to be getting more and more bad for more and more people as it worsens. But that's often how the good news begins to get traction. That's how repentance and revival begin to grow. Right? How because otherwise, how can God's people be a blessing? if they're just as unjust as the world? How can they be a blessing if what they're exporting is just injustice? If they're just as unjust as the world? And in chapter 2, verse 7, Micah says to Israel, to these, these positivity preachers, he says, Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Is this what God wants to be known for, what you're doing? No way! Judah's witness in the world, what they're called to be, is worthless. They have no hope to offer the world. They have no witness because there's no difference. Right? They offer no hope. They have no witness because there's no difference between Judah, Assyria, Syria, Egypt, Philistines, and everybody else. But again, as, as so often happens, this low place is where then people turn to God. It's often in the low times, in the low places, in the sad and sorry moments that we begin to turn to God. And this is so how this chapter ends with a picture of change, with a picture of renewal. Look at verse 12. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. And he who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Now do you see the the scene that he describes there is actually a, a city besieged, a city surrounded by an overwhelming enemy. Right, he's talking about what happens after doom has come, after your military has been defeated, and everybody has retreated to the one city that's still got walls. After that, something new happens. God works something out of that place and leads his people through the breach, brings them out of the city in victory. Who does he bring? He says in verse 12, he calls it the remnant. The remnant. You know what the remnant is? The remnant is what's left. The remnant is just what's left. Those people who apparently have listened to the prophet and who have now hoped in God's king, um, probably because they've experienced all of the hardships that led to the point where they're in a besieged city. But this, these two verses say that God will supply a true leader for those who hope in him. God will supply a true leader for those who hope in Him. The siege will be broken. The flock will be saved by their 
true king, a king who the king passes on before them with the Lord at their head. The king follows the Lord and they follow their king and they are delivered. And I just want to point out just some, just some details of this, that this is, of course, after judgment has come, after they're surrounded and besieged. It's a smaller group. It's mostly civilians. And yet they're the ones that get out through the overwhelming force that has pretty much won because their king trusts the Lord and they follow their king. This is going to be kind of where we land this morning. They, their king trusts the Lord and they follow their king. They're done following the other people. Now they're following the true king and they get out. They get through. Because with the Lord, the odds don't factor. You know, so often for us, the question of faith is a question of odds. It's a cost-benefit analysis. It's a which side, what's going to pay out. And when we don't factor in the Lord, that's like picking teams and not paying attention to which one has Michael Jordan. Like, we're going to make plans and we're going to make decisions based on the odds that don't count the presence of God's King and the presence of God Himself and His blessing. But those who do, those who follow this King, they get out. They go through the overwhelming odds. All right, so if I, could, if I could just summarize the problem this morning that Mike is addressing, is that there, there's a group of people here who are listening to the wrong voices and they're following the wrong leaders. Those are the two big problems of Micah 2, why God is bringing the judgment he talks about in Micah 1. they got the wrong voices and the wrong leaders. People are listening to the wrong voices and they're following the wrong leaders. And this is a temptation that we all have. We all look at the rich. I remember uh, being a security guard in Minneapolis and they would, they would throw the, uh, the magazines from like the high investment firms in the, in the building that I, I watched in the trash and I would pull out the Rob Report, you know, and it's like the super high-end everything. Everything's teak and everything's, you know, a leather and it's amazing stuff. And you look at that. We all look at what the rich have and we want it. We, we at least want to move in that direction. Like if we can't go get it custom made, we want to at least shop in Ikea. That's like need, nudging that way, right? Or, or the latest things that are coming out of Walmart that it kind of look like the Ikea. That's kind of looking like what's in the wrapper. Like we're all trying to lean in the direction of the rich. We try to move in that direction. We are following. And what are we following the rich into? Just pause for a second. What America, what, what Christian... American Christians, have we followed the rich into? We certainly are much more uh, savvy in our use of tax laws, but we have also inherited a higher suicide rate than any generation on the planet. And I could go on and on about this, but you get the idea. What are we following into? What Mike is saying is that your leaders, the world's leaders, their leaders are going to lead you to doom. Your leaders are going to lead you to doom. And and then we listen to the positivity preachers. Now, when I say positivity preachers, I'm not just talking about Christian preachers who only preach positive messages. I'm talking to all the people in our culture who have voices of influence, who are, who are preaching a can-do optimism, who are saying, look at the rich, you can do it. Look at the beautiful, look at the healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and you can do that. And so because that's their message and that's their platform, they're not going to talk about certain things. They don't want to upset key donors. They don't want to upset their subscriber base. And because they're not saying certain things, they're making us vulnerable to exploitation. Again, the leaders of the world are going to lead us to doom. 
The leaders of the world are going to lead us to doom. And Micah chapter 2, at the very end there, he says, we need a new leader. These leaders are going to lead us to doom. We need a new leader. And every Israelite would have known his name. His name was Messiah. His name in Greek is Christ. And we know him as Jesus our Lord. Jesus is this one, talked about in Micah 2, 12 and 13. He's going to be the one who's going to lead the remnant, those who believe in him, out of danger into life. Right? God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, so that those few from the world who believe in him, that remnant, will not perish, though they are surrounded and the lone survivors of their people. They will not perish, but they will pass through, through the breach, following their king into life. The leaders of this world will lead us to doom, but Christ will bring us through. Right? Christ will bring us through. So how should we apply this to our lives? I'd like to make a few suggestions. I hope they're fairly obvious and repetitive, perhaps even. Something you've heard more than once here. Uh, first of all, negative. Something we need to stop. Right? The people of Israel are listening to the wrong people, so we need to stop listening. We need to stop following. Stop listening to them. Stop liking their ways. Now, I need to frame this, of course, it, for us on this side of the cross, for those of us who, are, who have trusted in Jesus, we never need to fear that God is going to judge us for our sins. Right? We've talked about this before. All of that judgment came down on Christ on the cross for us. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Breath. But we will not escape the punishment that has been baked into the design of sin. What God calls sin holds within it the, the seeds of foolishness, the seeds of addiction, the seeds of doom. Right? You know this, those of you who've lived for any amount of time. The more somebody invests in doing sinful things, the more they're going to reap what they sow. And it's not going to be fun. So, no matter who you are, who you follow determines where you go. Now, for those who put their faith in Jesus, we're not going to go to hell, but we're also not going to go to strong, faith, love-filled, flourishing lives together, which is where Jesus wants to lead us. If we don't follow him, we're going to go somewhere else. You know, there's a real subtle contrast here in Micah chapter 1. You may have noticed it, uh, those of you who are a little more Bible wonks, you might have noticed the expression in verse 10, he says, tell it not in Gath. That, that would have been a hyperlink that all of the original readers would have immediately knew. And at the end of that section, he references the last place he calls is in verse 15, Adullam. Again, another like awesome little hyperlink that all of his readers would have immediately known. When he says, tell it not in Gath, that's a hyperlink back to the death of King Saul. After God had left King Saul, whose descendants were mostly the people of Israel, but after God left King Saul, King Saul was judged by a prophet and perished. Adullam is a reference to the beginning of King David's ministry when all sorts of people gathered around King David and flourished. 
And it's a way for Micah to say, hey, God put an end to King Saul, but David was God's man. David and Judah, King Saul and Israel. Now fast forward to Micah's time, and David's descendants, the Judahites, they're going to face the same judgment that King Saul and Israel faced? How, how can this be? And what, what he's pointing out here is like, listen, just because God works for you and saves you and gives you an amazing leader, who are you going to listen to and follow? You're the descendants of David. You've got all these blessings. You've seen God's hand. Who are you going to listen to and follow? And David's descendants are following the King Saul's, not the King David's. This is not a problem that goes away in the New Testament. I think in your notes I've got uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 written down there. What does Paul say there? He says, uh, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they will accumulate for themselves teachers because they have itching ears. They want to find teachers who will suit their own passions. Almost every single letter you look at in the New Testament, Paul, Peter, John, call churches to be vigilant about who they listen to and follow. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, we just saw. If you have all of these letters, there are people out there who look good, sound nice, but are going to lead us away from where the Spirit of Jesus wants to take us. As we saw in the book of Galatians, the Spirit wants to take us to be a beautiful new creation community of flourishing. But there's other people out there who want to make us slaves again. Who want to make Christians slaves. The world has a way and a message. A way and a message. We don't want to follow. We don't want to listen. And our King, our, our Lord, our, our Savior and our Shepherd Jesus has a way and a message. So stop listening to them. Stop following them. Start listening to Him. <laughs> follow Him. Listen to Jesus and follow Him. Now, to be a little more specific, because this is really what Micah is going to be railing on and has been, listen to and follow our Lord Jesus, and He's going to lead us to address injustices. To address them and stop avoiding them. If you have your Bibles open still, look with me at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I'm going to wait for a moment while you get there. It's probably the most famous verse in Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. We'll talk more about Micah 6.8 in coming weeks. What is good? What does the Lord require but to do justice? Friends, for the last 3,000 years at least, God's people have always been identified by our concern for justice in our societies. God's people have always been identified by our concern for justice. We have always been concerned for the ways that societies, cultures, institutions, policies, legislative bodies, the media, tolerate and enable what is wrong. We have always been concerned about those things. It's kind of strange then, maybe a little sad, 
to see how justice has become such a sensitive subject for many Christians? If it's a justice issue, we care about it. All justice is our justice. All justice is our justice. All injustice is our concern. All justice comes from our boss <laughs> to be distributed through his people. And all injustice is against our boss to be addressed by his people. We are those who listen to Jesus. We are those who follow him and he leads us to justice. To be deeply concerned about all justice. Now, to get very practical here, I know that there are two things about our cultural moment that make this very challenging. First is the politicization of justice issues. The politicization, am I saying that right? Of justice issues. And the second thing is the density of media. So let me just encourage you here with the politicization of justice issues. Uh, let me encourage you to be honest and curious about all aspects of all injustices. Be honest and curious about all aspects of all injustices. We are not going to be able to fix all injustice. We're not going to be able to address all injustices. But why would we ever want to defend an injustice? Why would we ever want to argue against a justice? You know, what, I think what's so sad about the politicization of justice is that right and wrong hasn't changed. It's just got monetized. Right and wrong hasn't changed, and we're always on the side of right. I don't care who gets the kickback for it. We're against the wrong. It doesn't matter who gets put in office. We're against the wrong. And we are for the right. Right? And I would also encourage you, because this text is about not just who we follow, but also how we listen, to reflect on your media diet and consider pruning it. I, f I find every, every so often I have to go through my podcast directory and get rid of four or five shows that I'm not listening to or, or aren't helping me. But we need to prune our media diet. Our Netflix, our Facebook, our YouTube, our podcasts, our socials. Fox News, CNN, all of these things. Are they leading us to Christ? <laughs> it's a, that's a, that's a, that was a kind of a jokey question, but it's a sincere one. Are they leading us to Christ? I want us to, to reflect on this because we need to be honest about the effect of our media consumption on us. Right? How, much, how many of us, because of what we watch and listen to, our stress levels lower? Hmm. Probably zero, right? Our anger level is more tolerable because we watch so much news, right? Probably the inverse. And I want you to put this media in the context of 2 Timothy 4.3, that times are coming when people will accumulate for themselves teachers who will scratch behind their ears. Mm. The media has become an echo chamber of validation or victimization, depending on what you like. And we need to be careful about this tendency. The real question, the question that Mike is asking his people is the question that we need to reflect on. Whose disciples are we? Whose disciples are we?
And the answer to that question is kind of, well, who do you listen to the most? And which way do you prefer to go? You know, then and now, in Micah's day and in our day, the societal's leaders are leading us to doom. We see this in rising injustice and widening various widening gaps and bad things on the rise. Every, every time you open a new thing or upload a page or whatever, new bad things are happening. And this, Micah says, is what the world does. Your leaders are going to lead you to doom. And so we're gathered here on this beautiful day under this tent because thanks be to God, we have a Savior who is a shepherd who will lead us to life. We have a shepherd who will lead us through and to life. And so let's follow him. We can follow Jesus through all things and he will lead us into life. And Jesus has the words of life. And now the question of Micah, the question for us today, from Moses to Micah to Peter to Paul, is who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to follow? What are we going to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the great comfort it is when it tells us about our Lord and Savior Jesus who has, we are here to celebrate, he has rescued us from that defeated, besieged position. We are those in the city of destruction who have found a way through by the blood of our Lord. We have found a way through because you made a way and because Jesus, Jesus is our Savior. And so, Lord, as his disciples, as his followers, Lord, that's what we want to be. We don't want to just get through and then get lost. We want to stick with Jesus. And, and so, Holy Spirit, would you let this word dwell in us richly to make it of use in attaching us more firmly to our Lord Jesus Christ. Help the good news about Jesus to loom ever larger in our lives. Lord Jesus, we confess that we struggle with this. And so we ask that you would turn up the volume on your voice a little bit, that you would help us to see the beauty of your ways. You give us the strength we need, the courage we need, the grace we need. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.